Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. So good to be in worship with you today, and welcome to all of you who are with us uh, online right now, worshiping from many different locations. It is good to be with you wherever you may be. We are in a series called Firm Foundation in which we are dedicating time to walk through and introduce uh, some affirmations in our denomination that are foundational to this church, the history of this church as well as the future of this church. So far, we've covered the centrality of the Word of God. We affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. We affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We affirm the whole mission of the church and a necessity of new birth, and we have one more next week. But we're pausing this morning because we have a treat for you. Uh, As we were praying about and planning this series, I was just thinking and asking God, okay, who knows the covenant well? And this man immediately came to mind and has graciously uh, agreed to come here and preach this morning at Redeemer um, just about a month into his retirement. So thank you so much. Let me introduce Reverend Dr. Dave Kirsten has recently retired as the Dean of North Park Theological Seminary and Vice President for Church Relations for North Park University, having served from 2012 until August of 2022. He began serving the covenant in 1979 and pastored four covenant congregations in Alabama, Florida, Washington, and Minnesota before being elected to the position of Executive Minister of the Ordered Ministry in 2001. Dave served the denomination in this role until taking his current position with North Park in 2012. Under his leadership, the seminary saw significant expansion and growth, taking theological education well beyond traditional models. Working with regional conferences, North Park Theological Seminary developed a distance cohort model bringing seminary to pastors currently serving a church who cannot relocate to Chicago for seminary. Additionally, the School of Restorative Arts launched in the fall of 2018, bringing higher theological education, listen, under his leadership, into prisons. It currently offers classes in Statesville Correctional Center and Logan Correctional Center, Under North Park's model in the SRA, outside students have the opportunity to study alongside incarcerated students in the program, a truly transformational experience and one that is completely unique to the SRA. Dave has been married to his very sweet Sandra Kay for over 40 years, and together they've raised three children. Dave and Sandy enjoy spending time with their children and grandchildren, especially at their home in Pentwater, Michigan, where Dave is the proud owner and operator of Keeper, a 1953 Chris Craft Express cruiser, which has been in the Kirsten family for two generations. He's here this morning to offer a message on covenant identity and to further introduce some of the historical staples that exist in our denomination. 
and explain where we've come from. So Dave, um, I love you, brother. In Christ, I honor you. You're my favorite seminary professor, and I continue to learn from you today. I'm not saying that for a grade. I'm done. Uh, Would you give Pastor Dave Kirsten a warm Redeemer welcome? Thanks, brother. Good morning, everyone. Delighted to be with you. Greetings from Chicago, North Park University Theological Seminary. Greetings from Covenant Offices. The new president of the Covenant in her first month, the Reverend Tammy Swanson Dreheim, um, she greets you, uh, and we're uh, we're delighted to share this morning with you. We um, we want to take a look at the kind of core essentials of our covenant life. I'm going to lift up some some touchstones from our past that lead us uh, to the future as well. And uh, it's not an exhaustive list. You've picked up these themes already in, uh, in some of the affirmations, uh, but I, I think we can come at this in a way that will give you a, another edge, another look at, uh, at who we are and who we are becoming um, in Christ. So glad to be part of this and to share, share this with you. We're looking at a passage from Isaiah 51 for our text this morning, and uh, we would like to... Um, we would like to read just a little bit of that. Um, I can, yeah, it's a little bigger. That's great. <laughs> um, but uh, let's, let's listen to God's word. And then um, as we enter Isaiah, Isaiah's in three movements. And we're just coming up on the third. The first movement's warning them of the collapse that will come if they're not obedient. Of course, it comes, the collapse. Uh, and that's the first movement. The opening chapters. The middle part of the Isaiah is when they're in captivity. They've been carted off to Babylon and are finding how to be God's, how to be God's people in a strange and foreign place. The third movement is the rebuilding section. We're coming up on movement three as we hear these words, these words from Isaiah. Let's listen together to God's word this morning. Isaiah 51. We're going to take the opening verses here. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth when I called him. He was he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion. We can stop there. We can stop there. It goes on and it, and it, talks, about, it talks about the word going out and the, the righteous teaching going out and the reform and the renewal and the justice coming to the land and to all nations through Israel. But, uh, but, but what we want to look to at this critical moment is, is what, what is Isaiah calling the people to? And, and how does this reflect some core themes within the evangelical covenant church? And so, uh, so Isaiah, Isaiah's a prophet. Isaiah believes in the word made world of the creator God. 
He, he believes in the word going forth and that it will not return void, that it's, it's active and that it's alive and that it's, it's full of grace and truth for us. And so, so as we look at, as we look at our past, we realize that we come out of a renewal movement. The affirmations that you've been studying are, are part of a, a renewal movement in the late 1700s, early 1800s, classical pietism, it was called. And it's a, it's a durable history for us. It first comes out of Germany over to Scandinavia. The Scandinavians brought it here and we birthed churches here. But it, but it had at its core a reliance, a reliance on the Word of God. As Isaiah believed the Word would not return void, our fathers and our mothers in the faith in the ECC were people of the book. And so the, the, the first touchstone that I want to bring to you this morning out of our past for our future is, is this, this, this notion that everything we do all of who we are needs, needs a core, a rock, a root here in the Word. In our forebears, when they would meet each other at meeting, when they would gather together, when they would meet in homes and study the Word, which, which was the beginning of the renewal movement, the home study, known as the conventicle. It was not legal in that day in the state church system, either in Germany or in Scandinavia, to read the word yourself without the pastor present. Uh, but the, uh, our folks were radical, and they gathered in their homes. They read the word. It was a reparative word after the 30-year war in Europe that devastated almost every family. They came to the word, and they would ask each other this one singular question, where, where is it written? Where does it come? If, if you're calling me to something in this Christian life, it needs to come from the book. Where, where is it written? This, this is our touchstone. This is our, our North Star. This, this, is, this is so formative to our ethos and our identity. People of the book, and this question, this, this question that doesn't go away, where, where is it written? In doing this, I, I want to lift up a couple things for us, though. There's some things that I think we do in the contemporary church and in this era of church that, that aren't as helpful as, uh, as they could be. <laughs> Uh, you know, we have BibleSoft, Adam. We are so proud of Adam, graduate of North Park Theological Seminary, uh, two degrees, uh, finished an, M, uh, an, MAS, an MACF and then an MDiv. How, how delighted we are. But, but um, you know, there's all, this, there's all this cool stuff. There's BibleSoft, there's Logos, there's all this software, there's all this technology, there are all these, these, these uh, uh, commentaries, there's everything everything um, that, uh, that we can use to know the Word. And all of, that's, all of that's good, but there is something about our approach to Scripture in the contemporary era that's just a little bit arrogant. <laughs> like, we've got all of this software, we've got all this technology, we've got all these scholars at the seminary, and yeah, 
uh, we're going to figure this thing out. You know, and the, the, the word, well, the word is kind of ancient and naive and, and it needs some help. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is ancient. It's not naive. Uh, but uh, so what we do, though, is with all of that, we place ourselves over the scriptures, right? And we, we take the notion that we're going to get this right, right? going to get it to its core essence, to its original audience, translated it into today's world. Of course, that's all, that's all good work, but that's not how the ancients read. That's not how Isaiah read. That's not how our forebearers read in those early meetings. They didn't place themselves over the text in somewhat of an arrogant stance. In fact, it was quite the opposite. They placed themselves under the text. The text is a dome of meaning over us. And the question is not, will I get this right? Will we get this right? Will our pastor get this right? Will we as a movement get this right? The question is, will the text? Will the living word of God that does not return void, will it get us right? You know what I mean? Will it be alive? Will it enter us in our daily lives? Where is it written as an invitation for the text to get us right? Individually, corporately, as, as a movement. And this is essential. Wherever we're going in God's future, in this critical moment post-pandemic, in the, you know, some of the church historians say every 500 years, the church has to recalibrate. So, you know, post-Roman Empire, post-Great Schism in 1013, when the church divides East and West, post-Reformation in in the uh, the 1500s, and now we're at 2000. Who who are we going to be Uh, is a profound question and then, then, then we have this pandemic thing on top of it. This, this recalibration is on us, but it's, it's will, will this ancient living text get us right? So I, Sandy and I had an experience a few years ago with the word that was so significant for us. Um, she was diagnosed, my wife Sandra, with a lymphoma. And I'll cut to the chase and say right now, before I proceed, that she's cancer-free and that she's doing well. But when we received that diagnosis, we had just started, we had just started a devotional um, work together called Pray As You Go. It's done by the Jesuits of the UK. It's about an 11-minute podcast every morning, one scripture uh, an anthem, either a choral anthem with a choir or a contemporary anthem, and then they read the text of the day through twice for reflection and then a closing prayer. It's very simple, very significant. We were doing this together, and so we're driving up to the Kellogg Cancer Center on the north side of Chicago in Evanston, and we're, we're, in, we're in her little Malibu, which has a great sound system, <laughs> and... Um, and we're frightened beyond. We're heading to our first chemotherapy at Kellogg. 
And we decide, let's listen to pray as you go. And it's the Feast of the Annunciation following the traditional church year. It's Luke 1. It's the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And that text surrounds us. That text, you know, enters in through the ear and down into the body. And the angel Gabriel, you know, after some of the scholars say after 400 years, there had not been a word spoken to Israel until Gabriel speaks to Mary. And what is the first thing he says to her? Fear not. Do not be afraid. That was a word. That was a word for a couple with one of them facing a cancer diagnosis, going to chemotherapy, surrounding us, entering us. Praise God for for a brilliant oncologist. Praise God for all of the therapies that she has received. But that word, that word, that word entering into that moment, entering into our lives, entering into our bodies, C.S. Lewis says that the, the orifice of the incarnation, the orifice of the Word becoming flesh, is the ear. You hear it. It enters you. Where? Where is it written? It has to be written into us, on our hearts. And there, there it changes us. It changes us forever. So that's the first touchstone. Touch, touchstone two. Oh wow, that was easy. Um, is is something and, and you've already you've already um, you've already hint, come to this out of the necessity of new birth uh, as as one of the affirmations of the covenant church that, that the, the, these are essentials. But but let's let's make it clear. Our forebears were not simply revivalists. They were not simply conversionists. Important, the necessity of new birth, it is just that. Is it a necessity? You have to hear the gospel. You have to say yes. You have to name the name. Is that correct? Is that right? Yes, indeed. You have to be baptized. You have to enter the waters. That's all, that's all part of the journey. But we're not that's not all of it, though, right? The forebears also said um, they had a question, another question, where is it written? It all starts with the word and the word entering us. And then they asked another question every time they met along the way. And it was, it was something like this. <laughs> something like this. How goes your walk? Or, or something like this. Are you living yet for Jesus? Great that you named the name. Great that you came forward. Great that you entered the waters of baptism. But what about today? What about your ongoing life and journey in Christ? And this comes from the Hebrews. This comes from Isaiah 
This, this comes from the ancient prophets and the writers of the Torah because they figured out in an ancient world that there is this thing called an I, an I, thou relationship. That there is a God. That, that this God knows us. This God is intimately involved in our affairs and he's calling to us the I, thou relationship is, is the gift of Isaiah, is the gift of the Hebrews to us that endures to this day. And it changes everything. History is, is not chaotic. History is not random. History is not fate. It's not a circular wheel of chance. It's a line. And it has a beginning. And it has an end. And we are on that journey. And the God, the God of that journey knows us and loves us and is calling to us, how goes your walk? That's a question. That's a question for lunch today with families. That's a question for devotions among friends. Are you living? Are you living yet for Jesus? This is an essential I have a, I have a student. She's no longer a student. She she just turned fifty. She was a confirmand of mine back in Seattle. She took confirmation with me. She's had a, a difficult, difficult life, trauma and abuse and an eating disorder that she still fights to this day. And I can remember her coming to visit Sandy and I after we had left Seattle and we were in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I asked her this question, Carrie, Carrie, how is it between you and Jesus? How is your walk? And she was at a low point. And, And she said, well, you know, the only thing I can kind of hold on to is if I can, I can see Jesus and I can see him on the cross and I can connect my gaze with his and I have a place to bring my trauma and my suffering, then I can keep going. <laughs> so profound. <laughs> She and I today are doing a study of Luke-Acts together. We, we talk once a week on the phone, and I, I'm kind of a spiritual friend and guide to her all these years later. She's a brilliant therapist, works with trauma, of course. But that, that walk, that ongoing today, how, how goes your walk you know, wherever we go as a church, whatever we become as a movement, where is it written? The, the, the lively Word of God entering us and the ongoing life of faith and discipleship. We have time for one more stone. One more touchstone from the past. So where is it written, right? How goes your walk? And the third one, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's an essential list. The third one is not a question, but it comes out of the heart of the movement. Back in Germany, uh, it was a pastor 
His name was August Hermann Franke. How's that for a name? August Hermann Franke. And he started a movement, was sent to a little, little rural parish in Halle, Germany. They had nothing. It was after the Thirty Years' War. The land was decimated. And, and he started, the church was so poor, he started a pharmacy alongside the church. So the church, he was a kind of a lay pharmacist. Anyway, he, he, he started a pharmacy. He started an orphanage. He started an old folks' home. He, he started taking care of the least, the last, the lost. And, uh, and he had an expression that he taught his people. It was, it was kind of a mantra. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was an essential for the movement. And I think it's an essential for today as well. He had this saying, God's glory, God's glory, neighbor's good. We're born in revival. We're born in renewal. We, 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 want, we want and we wait for the Spirit to fall, do we not? We, we want to feel the presence of God in our worship, in our study, in our life together, in our prayer life, in our formational life. We want, to, we, we, we want the glory to fall, right? We, we want the hairs to stand up on the back of our neck. We, 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 want, we want the goosebumps. We want, we, we want to feel this and to know it. But here's what Franco was saying, folks. The only way we know it's the glory of God. This is a measure of us. The only way we know it's the glory of God is when it results in our neighbor's good. Kind of like your campaign. You know, that's right if it results in your neighbor's good, in, in greater care for people on the margins here, in greater care for people, for people in Haiti. Yes, that's God's glory. Neighbor's good. It's like a mantra. It's like a chant. You, you say it to each other. God's glory. Neighbor's good. You know, I've, I've done this on the south side at uh, one of our African-American churches and uh, you know, I start out, God's glory, and they come back in call and response. God's glory. God's glory. God's glory. This is when we know we're on to something, folks. This is essential to what's before us. So Adam mentioned at the seminary in the last few years, we started the School of Restorative Arts. Unbelievable. We have over 100 incarcerated students right now. Uh, 60 at the men's prison, 40 at the women's prison. They're taking master's level. They're taking the same course of study Adam took. And, uh, and in fact, you all, you all sponsor one of the students' tuition. Uh, at about 3,000 a year is what it takes to educate someone behind the bars in the system we have set up. But uh, we got that school going. One of our professors at the time, Michelle Clifton Soderstrom, she took her sabbatical. We, she and I were reading a book together. I'd become dean. We were reading um, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in a Post-Racial Society. Tough read, tough read, but we read it together. She says, Dave, I can't get over this book. I'm going to take my sabbatical. I'm going to study how do we bring theological education to the prison system. That was the beginning of it. 
we got going. Uh, soon another group, and we were just teaching some classes, then a certificate, some one-off classes, then a certificate, then somebody says, why don't you do a degree? I don't know, why don't we? So we start down, we start down that journey. In the midst of that, this is a wild story, the singer, Lauren Daigle, you heard of her? Yeah. Lauren Daigle hears about our program. In fact, one of our outside students uh, was a friend of hers, um, and uh, Knew her from various connections from uh, Hillsong and some other stuff. Way too complicated. But anyway, she donates instruments to the chapel there after hearing about the program. But she says, I'll only give the instruments if I can come to a free concert at the prison. Which she does. Which gets approved in about three weeks uh, by IDOC. Total miracle, Illinois Department of Corrections. Total miracle category. Then, then a year later, she's in Chicago for Lollapalooza, which is the Lakefront Music Fest. And she calls up again and says, hey, I'm going to be at Lollapalooza. Just want to come back and meet with, a, meet with the first cohort of students and just sit and talk with them and hear their stories. And she does. She comes. There's about 30 guys in the gym in the middle of the summer. It's, it's hot beyond. It's 90-something degrees, plastic chairs in the gym. And... Um, we get there, and she asks everybody to introduce themselves and say, uh, say their name and say one thing they're happy about. We're going around the circle. The guys are great at it. She's delightful, disarming, not pretentious in any way. Um, there's a bunch of North Park people there. Her entourage is there, too. Um, you know, wardens and guards are everywhere. And um, anyway, anyway, we get around to uh, Oscar, Oscar Parham. He says, my name's Oscar. They call me Smiley. I'm excited about what's next. I, my clemency position's been upheld, and I'm told I'll be released soon. The place goes up and cheers, and, you know, that's just the greatest news. And then we go, we go on into sharing, and it's fascinating. And uh, she would jump up and sing one of her songs, a cappella, and it was just a fascinating. We started at 10. We were supposed to go to 2 um, at, uh, at about 1 o'clock. Um, the guards come and they come over to Smiley and they say, hey, you're getting out right now. So, so we surround him in prayer. We love on him. He, he sits back down in the circle and they go, go on, get out of here. I said, well, they're working on my paperwork. I don't want to miss any of this. So then, so, so then, so then she asks, they ask her a question. Lauren, how did you know this was your life calling and your life work? And she said to them, when I was a young girl in my late teens, I got a childhood disease that required me to be isolated in my home for two years. I know about isolation. I know it either, I, I know it can either, it can either destroy you or it can be, it can be transformative. That led to all bunch of sharing. The guards come in, they take Smiley out, then they tell us we have to leave early. I know I'm over time. Let me just finish this quick. And then, and then we're walking out, and one of the guys had wanted to play the song You Say with her, and he didn't get a chance, and he had a keyboard there, and he had his arrangement already. He presses the keyboard. They're forcing us out. We didn't want to. It was before our time to go, and, and it's very wrenching, and You Say starts, and... <laughs> One of the guards goes to the front of the entourage and tries to stop it. 
no, you have to let her sing this to them. Warden, no, no, sorry, got to go. Pushes us on to the series of iron gates out of the gym. We're between iron gates. He goes to the warden again. You have to let her sing this to him. He relents. She starts singing, and it's the most overwhelmingly beautiful thing, and they would sing the bridge back to her from the center of the gym. I, I can't describe it to you. Then we go all the way out. We get on the outside. Smiley's brothers are coming to pick him up. We all wait. We all stay. And it becomes this profound, profound moment where God's glory, God's glory falls and results in our neighbor's good. That's what we are about. That's, that's got to go with us into the future. Where is it written? Got to enter us. How goes your walk? Has to be now and continual. God's glory. Neighbors, good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.